Well, good morning, church family. Um, how many of you guys have, have had the opportunity to watch online a dad joke battle? Anybody? Really? I'm so disappointed in you guys. No, if you get online, type in dad joke battle, and you will find the one that I saw most recently uh, was Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, and they're sitting across the table from each other, and they're given a list of dad jokes, and the point is to try to get the other person to laugh by telling the dad jokes as deadpan as you can, and it is utterly hilarious. Some of them are awful jokes, of course, because they're dad jokes, but there's something just so, so lame about a dad joke, and yet they're so much fun. Um, so I don't know what it is about that. I mean, why do we laugh at silly, admittedly lame puns? And I think that's because on some level we're all lame too. And if you would, please turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. That's the book of Acts. And uh, we finished Acts chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago. Uh, while you're turning there, I'd like to reiterate what I just said, and that is that we are all lame. And some of you are probably thinking, you know, speak for yourself, Mark, because we know your puns, we know your sense of humor. That's true, but that is not the kind of lame that I'm talking about. Our story today refers to a man who was lame in the literal sense of the word. He, he was unable to walk, and he had to rely on the good graces of other people to get anywhere. He was able to walk. Now, you and I may be physically capable of walking, although some with more difficulty than others, but, but without an act of God, we're not spiritually capable. And when I say that we're lame, I'm referring to our own inability to walk righteously before God in our own power. Apart from God's intervention, you and I are totally lame. We are unable to pick ourselves up out of our sin. We're unable to earn forgiveness. We are unable to do anything that is pleasing to God by relying on our own ability. So the premise for today's message is right there. Okay, it's based on the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 3, and that is, on your own, you are lame, and so am I. Okay? Now remember, this chapter is right after we see that the church was growing incredibly fast, and that was thanks in part to the the fact that the church was, was living gracious and generous lives, and they were uh, just, just really being joyful and cheerful. And, and the Lord, it says, was adding to their number daily. So that's where we're coming from. I want us to pray, and then we'll dive in. Father God, we thank you for this day. I thank you so much for uh, the fact that, uh, that we're here this morning. Uh, Lord, um, a lot of folks, I guess, are, are either traveling or, or worshiping from home this morning on the live stream. I pray, God, that uh, that you be with each person, that you give everyone um, the, the desire, Father, uh, to connect with the body, to connect with you. I thank you, Father, that we have the chance to commune. And I pray especially, Father, that we will be given this morning the ability to be good soil. So that as the seeds go in, they take root and bear fruit, Father, because we know that apart from Jesus, no one bears fruit. Uh, just give us your spirit. Give us understanding and wisdom today as we read your word and as we explain it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Peter and John, it says, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. 
Okay, so it, it appears that Peter and John were together a lot, all right? These are probably two most famous coaches to life and ministry. They're very different personalities, but they appear to be a good team. And so Peter is, is apparently the spokesperson, while John is his confidant. He's here just have that, you know, in, in, in our marriage, I'm kind of the kite, Shannon's the string, uh, you know, that, that keeps me tethered. I mean, that, that's the way that, uh, that's the way that, that relationship. Go to the temple of Jerusalem at the hour of prayer, which was roughly three in the afternoon. And entering the scene here is a man lame from birth, which is important. Okay, it's important that he was lame from birth because he had obviously never walked before. And so there could be no question from anyone about his disability. And they, that, that's friends or family, would take him every day going into worship. Now, now this, this wasn't one of those guys on the corner with a sign saying, need help, God bless, who's going to hop in his Escalade and drive home at the end. We, we've seen folks like this, right? Um, I've done a lot of work in the inner city with homeless people. And you can see truly homeless people, and you can see people that are not necessarily truly homeless that are preying on the generosity of people. He was not one of those parents who was literally trying, he was trying to get enough money every day to offset what his parents had to pay to keep him alive, essentially. And so he's a person who's, he's completely dependent on others for everything. And he's used to this. He's used to being dependent on other people, including even his, his just day-to-day living. So let's read on. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, y'all, alms is, we would call that a charitable donation. It's something to help the poor and needy, okay? And this, this lame man probably asked this of everybody, you know, assuming they hadn't specifically mistreated him in the past. There's probably some people he just avoided, but... Perhaps he didn't recognize Peter and John. Maybe he thought that they, you know, they're new in town. They might help him out. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now, now this is interesting to me. Have you ever, you ever had experience with professional beggars, whether here in the U.S. or in a foreign country? Anybody? Really? No one has? A few? Okay, a few of you guys? Uh, it's chicklets when you're crossing uh, down south. Um, you know, there's, there's people who that is how they make their living is by asking for money uh, from other people. Some of them are legitimate. You know, some of them are orphans. Some of them are widows. Um, and some of them, many, I think, here in the United States are people who choose not to pursue other avenues. Uh, but either way, what do you think is the typical reaction that they get from the people who pull up in cars at the stoplight where they're panhandling? <laughs> I hope the light turns green quickly. She said, you think that's the reaction that they typically get? Uh, is, is, it, is it normal? Do you think they normally strike up a conversation with, the, you, with the, the person standing on the corner? I mean, it does happen. It happens occasionally, right? Occasionally, someone's going to give them a little money or maybe a soda or something that they might have, a bottle of water. Most of the time, though, there's not a lot of eye contact. And this, this lame man in today's text is clearly disabled, but he's been a fixture there at the temple for so long that most people probably either don't see him or they ignore him. Um, there are some folks who, who stake out a corner. You guys know what I'm talking about. And that's their place, right? Um, real quick story, not in the notes, but it, it fits, so I'm going to tell you about it. Um, when I was in high school, I decided it would be funny to go stand on a corner with a sign that says, Need money for prom. And I dressed up in a suit 
and I stood on the corner. Now, I did get at least one person that screamed, get a job at me, but I got enough money in three hours to rent a tux. <laughs> I just want to say it can be done. But, you know, that was more out of a just goofy kind of fun thing. Got on the radio. It was kind of neat. But folks, for the most part, aren't doing it to be funny. They're doing it because they want to actually get enough money. Some of the people, again, are legitimate. Some people take that money and they go to Shreveport and they gamble it away every week. We had a gentleman named Moses. That was his name. Uh, down in Farmer's Branch that would do that. Um, so, but this guy was real. He's lame. He's disabled. And he needs help. And he's lying down here and there's people who probably just, just, you know, he's like part of the background. They don't even see him because he's been there for so long. And it may have been an unusual experience for him for two people to make eye contact and look directly at him, but odder still that they would say, look at us, right? So he calls out to them for help, and when they respond, he fixes his attention on them. And I, don't, I just want to, let's break that down, okay? I want to unpack this. Remember where this man is coming from, okay? He is incapable of doing for himself, so what does he do in order to live? First, we see that this man is not afraid to ask. He is not afraid to ask. And before we dig into that, I want to say that the phrase, not afraid to ask, is deliberate. Because too often, people need help and they don't want to ask. Why? Why is that? P-R-I-D-E. That's one of three reasons that, that I, I think is absolutely true. Um, there's basically three reasons I think people don't ask when they need help, and they're all based in fear. The first is fear of being taken advantage of in a vulnerable situation. You know, you do see some of that. That's not the main thing. The second is fear of being rejected with, with you know, by people just saying, no, I'm not going to help you. If you're a professional beggar, you are so used to that, it doesn't even phase you, okay? So that's probably not an issue. You get over that fear really fast. But the third fear is that you'll be a burden to someone or that you'll be perceived as being a burden to someone, whether, whether by them or even by yourself. That's fear and pride. That's a big one, pride. We don't like to ask for help. Now, listen, I think this is a truly powerful metaphor for our lives. We think of ourselves as capable, right? I mean, typically we think of ourselves as, as capable, not so much, as capable, kind of self-sufficient maybe, you know, some of us are high achievers, you know, hardworking, self-sufficient folks. But, but there are things that we can't do for ourselves. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. But, but church, what do we need to realize before we ask for something? Thank you. The need that you have a problem. I was like, it's not a trick question. I hope somebody answers. Um, what do we need to accept before we'll ask for something. We, we have to see a need in our lives. We have to realize that there's a problem. And this lame man, he, he was able to tell that something was missing from his life, something that he couldn't do for himself. He lacked the ability to walk. He lacked the ability to provide for himself. Okay? Now, what about you? I mean, can you provide for yourself? Maybe you think in some ways, maybe some things, not all things. In order to be in a position to receive what you cannot provide for yourself, you must first recognize your deficiency. In other words, you must understand that you are lacking something important or even necessary. We have to see what we're missing. 
And I think this, this is part of the reason that, that sharing the gospel is so effective when you start with the bad news, right? And what I mean by that is, is if you just tell everybody, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, that may be true. It may apply, you know, it may appeal to that person's ego, but it's not the gospel. It leaves out the fact that every person has been in sinful rebellion against God and, and, and against his will, and that we have to be forgiven in order to reap the, the benefits of what Jesus did and to not reap the punishment that we've earned. And this is why Jesus had to come. This is why he had to die. Because he has done something that we haven't done, and that is he lived without sin. See, we're sinners saved by grace, but we have sinned. And Jesus has something that we don't have in our human nature, and that is perfect obedience. Jesus was perfectly obedient. In our, in our natural state, Scripture tells us this, in our natural state, we lack the ability to please God. What does it take to please God? Anybody? Hebrews? Without blank, it is impossible to please the Lord. Faith. Thank you. Faith. So, first, like the lame man, we figure out what's missing and then we have to know whether we really need what's missing. Okay? And in his case, it was legs that worked. In the case of every woman and man, it's a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, according to the prophet Jeremiah. Actually, according to the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. The lame man couldn't live his, 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 his he couldn't live by himself. He couldn't earn a living. By working, and we can't earn our salvation by working. So there has to be a measure of humility there. Okay? Because we need to realize that God's standard of righteousness will never, can never be met by fallen, sinful human beings. You simply can't do it on your own. Neither can I. None of us can. We can't earn our salvation. And I'll tell you, the main thing that we can't do for ourselves, that is justify ourselves before a holy and righteous God. We cannot erase our own sins. We cannot make up for our failures. We, you know what else we can't do for ourselves? You know what we need the Holy Spirit for, especially here? What happens after you're justified? Sanctified. Holiness in real time. We, we, we can't sanctify ourselves. That means we cannot be Christ-like through our own strength, okay? Or through our own ability. This man's legs were, were messed up. He could not walk apart from a miracle. Our, our hearts, guys, our hearts are messed up. So we can't be justified, innocent, in the sight of God apart from a miracle. But when these two things are understood by a person, when we understand that we lack something we need, when we understand that we don't have the capability to provide it for ourselves, then we should seek help. And this is, this is the process that brings us to asking for help. Basically, asking is verbalizing our need and, and looking for assist, assistance from a source that, that we can trust, that we believe will help. Now, church... The lame man was looking at Peter and John. Who do we look to? Jesus. Where does our help come from? From the Lord. Psalm 121 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. 
So, so this, this lame man serves as an object lesson that we ought to ask for help. We ought to petition the Lord for whatever it is that we need. You know, to be saved in the first place for certain. I mean, we, ha- we, need, to, we need to petition him for that. But also, we need him to provide for us for every step in the Christian walk. He continues to provide for our needs. But next, notice this. The man doesn't just ask in a to whom it may concern format, right? And I think we, we can also learn that we ought to fix our attention on our source of help. So what does that look like? Let's try to, to, to just picture the situation around the, this lame man. He's by the temple gate at probably the busiest hour of the day, surrounded by a bustling crowd of people. Now bear in mind, he's not standing up. He's laying on the ground. He sees probably mostly shins, right? But, but he asks for something of Peter and John. He recognizes them from a distance as somebody new, maybe. And so and suddenly they're zoned in on him. Right? And so he, he, Luke says he fixed his attention on them. So what does that look like? Okay, First, it probably would involve looking intently at them. Right? Focusing his eyes on them. They had called out. Right? They'd called out to him. He called out first. They called out to him. And so he definitely wanted to memorize their faces. He doesn't want to lose them in the crowd. Right? And so keeping his eyes on them would mean he'd remain in some sort of communication with that person that he's fixing his eyes on, okay, that he wanted to help him. Secondly, he probably had his ears perked up, right? Because they'd called out to him specifically. And so whatever came next was going to have value for him. So it would involve the eyes, but also the ears. He's listening attentively, you know, to, to, to whatever words are spoken. He's straining to hear Peter's voice. And you know how sometimes this happens with the funniest things. A subject matter in a nearby conversation will just grab your interest because you just hear, you don't hear anything else that they're saying, but they'll say some word, you know, uh, for my kids, if you say like Pokemon or, or, or I just did that actually. Um, but, you know, for me, if you say guitar or kayak, I'm probably going to, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those things that's natural to the human being. It grabs your interest. And even though you didn't hear anything before that, all of a sudden you're just, you're dialed in. And that's what's happening here with the lame man. You know, now, if we're honest with ourselves here, this may be a tough question to answer, but are we giving God that kind of attention? Are we fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews 12 says? You know, are we trying to walk with him in his way, as 1 John says? Do we listen to his words in Scripture by reading, by meditating on them? Because we believe Jesus when he says that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do, do we understand, as Peter did, that, we, that in John 6 he says... Master, to whom else can we go? You have the very words of life. If so, maybe we ought to be fixing our attention with a little more intent. I'll tell you, friends, good things only rarely happen if they're not. Here's a kayak metaphor for you. Following Jesus is an upstream paddle. If you're not, goes goes with the flow. You have to paddle just to stay in the same place. But you got to sometimes exert yourself, don't you, Brandon? <laughs> You've been with me. you got to exert yourself to go upstream. Sometimes it, it narrows and it gets even harder. Guys, that's, that's what God wants from us, church. And this comes as a result of fixing our attention on him. And, and, and then like this lame man, 
lying there in the midst of a crowd, to focus on him, sometimes it means we'll have to shut out all the other noise. We just got to block it out. And this is sometimes the hardest part of focusing on God, whether it's when we're praying or when we're, we're reading his word. Sometimes simply when we're just trying to avoid temptation, we are constantly being bombarded by the zeitgeist of this age and, and by the, you know, the, the satanic forces in the world. Even our own flesh is traitorous, right? Our own bodies want to do things that are wrong. And there are times that, that we have to, to remove distractions in order to stay focused on God. I mean, even the good things that God created to bless us, like sex and food and work and family, and, and these can become idols if we focus on them instead of on God. So be prepared to tune out all the racket, all of the chaos of life. You know, every day at some point, just try to get a focus. Try to quiet, to be still and know that he is God. Try to push those other things out of your mind and tune in so you can remember who gives you every good thing. The Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadow. Which brings us back, anyway, to, to, to why this lame man fixed his attention on Peter and John. There was an expectation there, right? There was an expectation. This fellow, he'd been devoting his time every day for however many years to depending on the generosity of other people. Now, I will tell you, some of you know this. If you've ever waited tables, you know this, okay? When you depend on the generosity of other people, that can be a risky proposal. No matter how good you are at your job. Sometimes, sometimes it's feast, sometimes it's famine. And so, so if someone that you believe is planning to bless you, then there's an expectation to receive something. You know, sometimes I remember working room service in the hotel and I would have repeat customers. Some of them were great tippers. And I told Shannon about it one time. There's this one lady who would always, I guess she was on a company credit card or something because she would tip cash and also write a big tip on the credit card. Shannon goes, flirt with her. See if she'll give you more. Do you remember this? I probably shouldn't have said that in front of the video camera, but um, I think she was kidding. But anyway, it was funny. But that's what you have to do sometimes to, uh, to, to maintain your, you, you just have to, you have to push, you have to exert, and you still don't get good tips. You still have to depend on other people. And so if you think someone is planning to bless you, there's that expectation. You go, I'm going to give this person extra good service because I know that they typically bless me. Well, they thought something, uh, excuse me, the lame man thought something was going to happen here. He saw Peter and John. He's like, they're going to give me something. But boy, did he underestimate what he was going to get. Before we get into that, it, it's the same with us. If we're asking God for something, or, or if we're in need and we're asking our Christian brothers and sisters for help, I think we should go into it with an attitude of expectation. Now, this is not to be confused with an attitude of entitlement, okay? Two different things, all right? We are not entitled to God's help in any situation, any given situation. Nor does God force Christians to help one another, but because of the love that God has for, for his people and for that his people have for one another, the kind of love that Christians have for other Christians. I think it's fair to expect something, even if we don't necessarily know what to expect. And then that, that's the part of the story that gets really cool. Uh, what was he expecting from Peter and John? Money, alms, right? 
Okay, a little something, something. But, but, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. For, for, for there's no other name with this kind of power. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, it says, and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles became strong. Well, that was unexpected. You think he was expecting that? No. The guy was hoping for some pocket change, and instead he got a completely new life. He was a new man. Listen, if you're willing to sincerely ask God to provide for your necessities, and you're open to whatever his answer may be, then be willing to see your expectations exceeded. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that if you ask God for a reliable car to get you to work, he's going to buy you a Bentley or, you know, a helicopter or whatever. That, that, that name it and claim it health and wealth stuff has absolutely no place in the pulpit. Certainly not this pulpit, okay? But, but when a person comes to new life in Christ, they'll see God's faithfulness. He reveals himself. He reveals his will in ways that, that, that sometimes are way better than we expect. And even, listen, this is important. Even when things that are tragic on the surface happen, God still uses those things to draw us deeper into his embrace and to help us to understand how good he is. And I know, I know, I know that is a bitter pill to swallow sometimes, especially in the midst of a difficult season. But guys, it's true. It's true. Sometimes in the hardest parts of our life is when God reveals himself the most. And just, just as, as he gave the lame man the strength to stand up, God gives, he gives his people, he gives us fresh strength. He gives us fresh perspective to see what he's doing so that we can experience his goodness even in the midst of suffering. Whatever God does, whatever he, he allows or permits in our lives, we can expect him to glorify himself in all of it. And he often does that, guys. He often does that by giving us comfort and peace in spite of the toughest circumstances. You know, John Piper often says that God is most glorified when his people are most satisfied in him. And how much greater is our witness than when we're satisfied in him and, and in the middle of a trial, right? And one, one more thought uh, on that. Just, friends, if you're suffering, be patient. Be patient, friends, if you're suffering. And I'm, I'm going to just bear in mind, okay, think about this. This man had been at the temple gate every day for years, maybe decades, right? And who else? had been in the temple several times in the last few months. Jesus. As far as we know, Jesus and this lame man were physically in the same vicinity multiple times. Now, why is that weird? Because he was still lame, right? Because Jesus hadn't healed him. But think about it, friends. If Jesus had healed him when Jesus was there in the flesh, then, then John couldn't be healing. Peter and John couldn't be healing him right now. Let me rephrase that. Jesus couldn't be healing him right now through Peter and John. Think about that. Let that sink in. 
I once heard a teacher, a very good teacher, and I guess he forgot about this man, but I once heard a teacher say, Jesus never failed to heal anyone when that person, you know, was, was in contact with him. And I thought, what about the lame man? He was at the gate every day. We see why, though. If Jesus had healed him then, he couldn't be healed now. And so God glorified himself by showing that he could work not only through his son, but through regular people like you, like me, who have the Holy Spirit working through them. And that's just awesome. Anyway, so um, friends, be patient and see what God does to glorify himself through you. Um, Let's get to this last paragraph. We're going to see how this formerly lame man responded to this miraculous blessing and leaping up. It says, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That's an incredibly cute sound. (laughs) This is further proof, guys, of God's ability to heal completely and to heal without any middle ground. You know, there were no wobbly giraffe steps, you know, little baby giraffe steps. There was no six months of rehab. There was no PT, no ligament stretching, none of that stuff. He leaped up. He leaped up. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, it says, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's where we get the phrase Solomon's porch. Okay, there's, there's just a few more things quickly to wrap our brains around, and it nearly all has to do with how do we respond properly when God is working in our lives. What is a proper response? As bizarre as it sounds, okay, imagine if this lame man had refused to get up. Because, you know, he was, he was comfortable living that old life. It was easy. He would just lie there every day. His parents took care of him. You know, he would just earn some money by begging and go home. And just, I mean, he could have done, what if he was comfortable? Or what if he had been miraculously healed, but he still decided, I'm just going to stay where I am. And then his muscles deteriorated and his tendons would begin to shrink. And eventually he'd be unable to walk again. I mean, church, how many people do we see that this happens to spiritually? How many of us have experienced that maybe at some point in our own life? Do do you know? Do you know there is nowhere in Scripture where we see, at least that I can think of, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's anywhere in Scripture where we see God heal an individual that decides to remain in their former state. Nobody ever says, no, 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 I prefer living on, on the, the ground and begging for subsistence, you know. When Jesus healed the eyes of the blind, they don't go and poke their eyes out again. That's not what they do. You know, well, I enjoy being in the dark. No, they, they get up and they go out and they exercise the blessing that God has given them. And I think we're expected to do the same thing. I think when God heals us, we ought to walk and leap. We ought to exercise those blessings. You know, I love that it says the man leaped up, and he's like, he's bounding around. I mean, he's, he's not just up like, oh, that, that was cool. You know, I mean, this guy's like going nuts. He's jumping up, and, and, and he, 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 he didn't just walk. He's jumping, and I don't think he was showing off either. You know, I think he was, he was just leaping for joy, excited about this new capability that he'd been given. And, and when, God, when God raises us up to life, do we remain in unbelief? 
No. No. Of course not. And when he sanctifies us by giving us the ability to withstand temptation, to overcome addiction, do we remain lying in the the same filth that we used to wallow in? No. The old ways should be repugnant to us. And and even when he blesses us by healing our bodies, how do we use them? Let's exercise the grace that he's given to us. Grace needs to be exercised. You know, it's by grace through faith. Dennis, you said it earlier in the pulpit. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. But then what does it say? It says, for you are God's workmanship. Some would translate that word masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he set up beforehand in order that we may walk in them. It's powerful. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Anyway, let's exercise that grace through faith in his resurrected son who died on a cross for our sins. We are forgiven. We are made a new creation. And that's reason to leap for joy. And on top of that, like the formerly lame man, we should openly praise God, right? With our voices, we should praise him with our lives. Our our words and our actions ought to be a testimony to the goodness of God. Because he saved us by grace through faith. You know, he delivered us from the power of sin. You realize that it's not just the penalty of sin that we're delivered from. It's it's sin's dominion. We should be quick to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't have it, who don't know him. Because they can be justified and sanctified too if they'll put their faith in him. I mean, don't you want other people to receive that blessing? I hope so. And one more thing. It's, it's kind of said in passing, but it sticks out to me. The formerly lame man was clinging to Peter and John. And the Greek word that's, that's there, is, it's used in the context elsewhere of, of arresting somebody or seizing somebody, right? It's like, it means laying hands on them. So this guy's just like wrapped, I picture him almost wrapped around Paul and John, and they're like, you know, trying to, but that, think about this, okay? This guy knew something amazing had happened. And he's praising God for it. He wasn't about to let God's instruments of healing just wander off, right? No way. And why not? He's, because he's overflowing with gratitude. He is so thankful. You know, he did nothing to deserve this blessing. He couldn't produce his own healing, right? He just asked for help. And then, and then he took the hand that was offered. That's important, by the way. He took the hand that was offered, and now he's a new man. And when we can admit it, that we're lame, that we can do nothing apart from Jesus, when we recognize he is our healing, he's our hope, he's our life, then we cling to him. We cling to him. We seize him, we grab hold, we refuse to let go, we don't want to let go, because we're so grateful for what he's done. In a sense, we're clinging to him for dear life. Because there is no other life. Besides Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And when we cling to him, when our lives are so, so when, we're, when we're saved, when we're justified, and we're being sanctified, we are so obviously transformed that we respond out of joy and gratitude. The result of this, guys, is that it brings honor to God, and our changed life draws people to him. And that is what we should want. I mean, isn't that what we want? 
to, who, are, who found freedom and forgiveness through the life of our crucified and resurrected Lord, don't we want to honor God and usher more people into his family? I hope so. You know, church, it's easy to look at a story like this and just say, hey, that's cool. But then write it off, you know, because we don't usually see that type of miracle today. But, but listen, when you are transformed, when you are born from above by the grace of God, that is no less a miracle. I would say that's probably a more spectacular miracle than the lame being made to walk. It may not be as observably dramatic as a lifelong crippled person, a handicapped, disabled person suddenly being able to leap and dance. But, but listen, if we are transformed, those who know who we used to be, if they see who we are now, they will be amazed at what God has done. And they'll wonder, if we're doing this right, they'll wonder what caused the change. And that's when we tell them about Jesus. That's when we say that you can be made righteous before God. You can have a whole new life too. And that, guys, that's what we're offering here today. Not that we're able to give it to you. This church has no power in that sense. It's, it's what God can do to you. And, and, and that, this is what Jesus Christ is. He, he is the Son of God and God the Son. He laid down his life for you. And you, you got to understand, you are lame. You lack the ability to be right with God on your own. So ask him to make you right with himself. And then fix your attention on him. You know, look, look to the example of Christ and internalize his word. Take it in. Feed on it. Meditate on it. Expect him to bless you beyond what you think. At least beyond what you think you need. Because sometimes God gives us what we really need, and it's so much better. And live, guys, live a transformed life of joy and grace, praising him every opportunity that you get. And that can start today. That can start today. And so what we're going to do... Um, Danny's going to come up and he's going to play a song. And uh, this is our time of invitation. If you, if you feel like you, you need to, uh, you know, we had somebody come up and, and confess last week, which was amazing. Come up and just say, this is something I've, I have been struggling with for a long time. And, and he shared it with the congregation. And uh, I know you're forgiven. Um, and it's just a wonderful blessing to see that. That takes great courage. Um, but maybe you, you want to commit your life to Christ. Maybe you believe, you know, for the first time you say, you know, I, I've known who Jesus is, but now I realize I need to be obedient to him uh, through confession and baptism and, and walking in obedience to his word. Maybe that's where you're at. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you this morning, you have a chance. You have the opportunity to come forward and tell us what the Lord is, is speaking to you. And so why don't we stand together and uh, we're going to sing a song.